Please note that this episode references court proceedings involving minors who have experienced sexual assault or violence. Listener discretion is advised. Association with the Winston Churchill Trust proudly presents the Wayfinder podcast. In this series, we ask high-performing individuals how they plotted the path to success. Our guests are all Churchill Fellows, having been provided the opportunity by the Churchill Trust to research their chosen field internationally. The Wayfinder explores the often winding paths of how these fellows came to their professions and catalogues the trials and tribulations faced along the way. And now your host, Scarlett Bennett. Hello and welcome to the Wayfinder podcast. My name is Scarlett Bennett and I have Julie Morrison with me today. Julie is the Victims Engagement Coordinator in the Office of Public Prosecutions in Victoria. Welcome, Julie. Thank you, Scarlett. It's lovely to meet you. Delighted. So tell us a little bit about your role here, Julie. All right. So I work at the Office of Public Prosecutions in Victoria, and our role is to prosecute serious crime on behalf of the state of Victoria. So central to all the work we do is a focus on victims. So everything we do with victims, we want to make sure that we recognise the trauma that they've been through and are still going through, and we want to make sure that everything we do modifies that trauma or doesn't exacerbate it. So It's about creating an environment where they feel safe and they feel empowered to tell their story. So my role as the Victims Engagement Coordinator is to work on a number of projects where we can provide that environment. So things like our website, how it looks, access to information, uh, pamphlets, brochures, things like that. And, of course, now importantly, our Court Dog Program. Which I'm really looking forward to hearing more about. That's fantastic. What's the biggest challenge you face in the work you do here? Not being able to help everybody. Um, unfortunately, there's there's a lot of crime out there and there's yeah. a lot of court matters before the courts at the moment. Certainly, the the request for to have the support of a dog is absolutely phenomenal and we just can't keep up with the request. So I think that the biggest challenge is not being able to help everybody in the way that we want to be able to help them. And of course, you know, we can't fix the past, we can't fix the problems that have brought people here. Um, but if we can make the experience, the court experience a little bit easier, then that's what we're trying to do. Mm, that's fantastic. And you mentioned the court dog program. Mm. Would you like to tell us a little <laughs> bit about that? All right. So outside of work, I'm pretty much a, a dog person through and through. I spend a lot of my time with my dogs and doing stuff with my dogs. And in the past, I've worked with my dogs yes, as therapy dogs. So I've seen firsthand the benefit that dogs can bring to someone in a, in a hospital setting or in a school setting. When I started here at the OPP, I began to wonder if there was perhaps a role for dogs to support victims as they went to court to tell their story. And I started my research and I found that there was nothing happening in Australia. But in America, court dog programs had been going since 2004. So that set me my challenge. I thought, well, if they can do it there, we can do it here. Um, And I guess the rest they say is history. So our court dog program that we run today We have um, a dog that works with us full-time and her role is to accompany people as they give evidence uh, in court settings, either in committals or trials or pleas or sentence hearings or appeals. 
And what the dog does is basically just helps to put someone in a, in a better headspace, in a calmer, more relaxed state so that they can tell their story. And part of what we do is about trying to facilitate the justice process. So if we can help people tell their story, well, that's a good thing. And if we can help people to feel more relaxed as they do it, then that's also a good thing. That's fantastic. And tell us a little about your, about your dogs. You, you mentioned you've got a, a full-time dog working here at the moment. Yeah, so we Lucy started with us in May 2019 and um, we towards the end of 2019, and I collect stats on, on all the work that we do, I worked out that up to nearly 40% of all requests to have Lucy support someone, I couldn't accommodate just because of the sheer volume. So obviously demand was a lot higher than the supply of one dog and there's only so much one dog can do. So we start, and unfortunately a lot of those requests were from children um, because as you can imagine, a lot of children are very interested to have the support of a dog. So in 2020, we started working with Child Witness Services, who's another department within the Department of Justice and Community Safety. And... We started looking about the possibility of placing a dog with them to help predominantly with children. And fast forward to the end of 2020, and after a four-month delay because of COVID, um, we got our second dog, Kiki. That's very exciting. So Kiki is now placed with Child Witness Services, and in fact, both dogs are going to be here in the office today working on different cases. So it should be pandemonium at lunchtime because they love each other. And how do you um, how do you source the dogs? How do you find the right dogs yeah. for this program? So we're really, really lucky in that we have an excellent association with Assistance Dogs of Australia, a company based out of Sydney. Um, a lot of people would already be familiar with their work that they do in providing dogs to assist with mobility assistance. But they also, which a lot of people may not know, train dogs to work with children with autism and veterans with PTSD as well. But they have also placed a few dogs in schools and educational institutions to support students in, in high anxiety times. So when we approach them about the possibility of having a dog to be placed in the court environment, they welcome the opportunity with open arms, which was um, absolutely wonderful. So we have a great relationship with them. So what's really exciting about Kiki and Lucy, though, is that they completed their training as part of the Pups in Prison program at the South East Queensland Correctional Facility. So they came off a of prison, which is pretty amazing. And, and one of the highlights, I think, of my career was actually going to that prison and meeting the prisoner that trained both Lucy and Kiki, and she's the most wonderful lady. So we're really, really proud of our association, both with Assistance Dogs of Australia and the South East Queensland Correctional Facility. And we think it's a, a wonderful example of restorative justice that yes. we have pris- victims, uh, not victims, we have prisoners training dogs to support victims of crime. And There's it a really wonderful has symmetry with that. Lovely, lovely full circle. And it's interesting when I tell that story to a lot of the people that Lucy works with providing support here, they're actually really touched by it and they, they take that on really positively and think that that, again, is a wonderful example of, of what we can be doing. So tell us a little bit about the process. Like if we were to imagine a typical scenario mm-hmm. in which um, Lucy or Kiki might work, yeah. what would they do sort of start start to finish in okay. terms of supporting someone? Okay. Well, I might just start with um, a little bit of the, the science as to how it works. Um, so anyone who's got a pet will know how great pets make us feel and how great our animals make us feel. But when you're trying to do something in a, in a formal setting, you really want to be a bit evidence-based. So... 
The studies have shown categorically over a long time now that when we're in the presence of a calm and relaxed dog, and I'll focus on dogs because that's what we're doing at the moment, obviously, um, they, the dogs actually have a chemical effect on our on our system. So in the presence of a calm, relaxed dog, there's actually an increase in the hormone called oxytocin in our bloodstream. And oxytocin is that great hormone that tends to counter the effects of the stress hormone, which is cortisol. So cortisol is that hormone that makes your heart race and your palms sweat and, you know, your, your belly do flip-flops and all that. But when the oxytocin's in your system, it actually reduces the effects of cortisol. So there's actually a really scientific reason why we feel better when we're just looking at or patting a calm, relaxed dog. And I do emphasize calm and relaxed because if you've got a dog that's running circles around you, you're probably not likely to be that calm or relaxed. But there's just something about the presence of that sleeping dog. So we know that there's a scientific reason why we feel better when we've got a, a calm, relaxed dog. But the other benefit that the oxytocin has on our system, it means that once that cortisol is removed or reduced, it actually means we can think more clearly and recall facts more easily. So for us in the criminal justice system, this is really important because we want people to think more clearly. We want to help people tell their story. So the dogs are not only making people feel better and that the stress levels go down, but it actually helps them to tell their story. So that's why the importance of having the dogs, we believe, in this setting. So when the dogs are working for us, a typical a typical day for, for Lucy or Kiki will be that she'll meet the witness that she's working with. They'll interact in the in the waiting room. So as as we've just done, and as I think you just saw, Scarlett, Lucy actually has been trained to hand out her business cards. Isn't that wonderful? Obviously not with the paws. And she does it so well. <laughs> she does it so well. So she just carries it in her mouth and, and presents it to the person, which is a really nice icebreaker. And the card just has a little bit about Lucy and who she is and what she does. So if it's an adult that we're working with, typically they'll, they might sit on the floor or just sit on their chair with Lucy at their feet and they will pat her. Now with children, because of course children love to play games, uh, the dogs are taught to do a lot of games and fun things. So Lucy can play cards, she can read a book, she can play Skittles, she can play hide and seek and go fetch and all those other really fun things so that it really takes that, that stress out of the waiting, which as a lot of people tell us is the worst part of the experience. And sometimes people can be waiting for hours before they go in to start to tell their story. So once we get through all that waiting time, and then there's lots of quiet time as well, and we have Lucy's brush so that people can just brush her because that grooming, that brushing is a really calming activity too. But when it's time to give evidence, then what we do is we just place the dog's mat in, and to, most of our people will choose to give evidence from a remote witness facility. So it means they're not going into a courtroom and seeing the accused. So here in Australia, people can elect to give their evidence that way. So the dog's mat is just placed by the, the feet of the, of the witness. Um, the dogs are also trained to, with, for body pressure, so they'll lie with their backs on people's feet. I've had people say to me that they take their shoes off so they can feel Lucy through their feet. Um, and then basically the dog goes to sleep, and that's pretty much what happens as someone's giving evidence and telling their story because we need the dogs to be really, really calm and relaxed because when they're doing their job, that's really important that then they don't be a distraction to what's going on. You know, we don't want the dogs doing cute things running around the room because clearly that would not help the justice process. So their job is just to lie there and be relaxed and very, very calm. Um, Lucy's a bit of a chronic snorer, so she, we work on that. And that's very funny. Occasionally we'll have a judge say, oh, I can hear Lucy snoring again. So some of the judges know us really well by now. Um, but that's something we work on. 
And it's funny because I have a lot of the victims or the witnesses say to me, they actually find that really calming and mm. grounding because it's just like something really normal in a totally abnormal setting. So we've learnt to love the, the snoring as she goes on. Although the other day she did have a bit of a puppy dream and, and the legs were going <laughs> started to vocalise a little bit more. Um, but that was all good. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so Lucy will do that in the remote witness rooms. But she also has, um, when we've got approval, and I should point out too that in order to have the dog support someone, as they're giving evidence, it's always subject to the approval of the courts. So we always send up a request to the magistrate or the judge. But I'm pretty pleased to say that in about 350 applications, we've only had five knockbacks. So the uptake from the court and the support from the court has really been really encouraging and really phenomenal. That's very impressive. Really impressive, yeah. Um, so, yes, yeah, so the dogs will, will do this, provide that support. Um, Lucy also has now been into the courtroom, onto the witness stand on a number of occasions. So sometimes people will say, no, I don't want to give my evidence remotely. I actually want to go to court and see the accused. And in those occasions, we ask permission for Lucy to go on the witness stand, which is a whole new ball game, but she handles it very, very well. You must need a very special temperament in a dog to be able to do this. Yes, yeah, so the, the Assistance Dogs of Australia have breeding programs which are designed to, to breed dogs and train dogs, which are highly sociable, um, obviously love people, easily trained, and also have a very low level of energy because we don't want that high level of energy of a dog saying, what are we doing now, what are we doing now? Um, those dogs can be quite good for children with autism who are very active, but when the schools get dogs that have that really relaxed, chilled-out attitude, then they say, okay, this could be a really good dog for for this work. And that's the great thing about their, their training program is now there's basically four careers that the dogs can go into. So just because they may not be suited to one avenue of work, it could well be that they're suited to another avenue of work. That's fascinating. So it's a bit like um, fit to roll in humans. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, kind of the dogs choose their own careers based on, on how they respond and how they react. Yeah. And and tell me a little bit about the impact. You've had it running for a little while mm-hmm. now. You're getting great take up and mm-hmm. there's high demand. What are you seeing in terms of how you know how people are experiencing that mm. support? I think well, this is where we come back now to some anecdotal data and I would love one day to do sort of some formal studies on this, but it's a really hard area to do that at, at the moment. Um so the, the feedback that we're getting from people that have experienced going to court with having Lucy there is, is sort of really phenomenal. They, they'll report things like, you know, she just made me smile or she made me laugh at a time when I couldn't find anything to laugh or smile at. I've had solicitors say to me that they expected their witness to take a long time to give their evidence because they were so fragile, but they couldn't believe how quickly they got through the evidence when they had Lucy there. So the anecdotal evidence is very much that people are able to tell their story. They're able to take fewer breaks as they're telling their story, which is good for them and good for the courts. Um, you know, cost a lot of money to run a trial. And if we can help shorten the, the time of a trial, that's another sort of side benefit. But I think the main thing is that the people are saying, reporting how Lucy made them feel on the day. And I had one girl, she was, um, sexual assault case and she was coming to give evidence and she said to me afterwards I feel special because I've got a dog and I thought if we can make somebody feel special and it was probably one of the worst days of their life Mm. that is something quite considerable the other thing we're finding too is that people are staying engaged in a legal process for a bit longer than they might otherwise have been one of our very first cases we had a girl that um had decided on the weekend 
she was not going to get, go ahead with her evidence. She just could not put herself through the court system one more time. And she told her informant on the weekend that that was it. She just couldn't go. And um, the ca- this case in particular did rest heavily on the evidence of this one lady. When the informant told her, she said um, the weekend, she said, I've heard that the OPP have a dog now. Would you like to see if you can have the dog? And the girl said, oh, I'll come if I've got a dog. And sure enough, she did. And the informant told me later, she said, I have no doubt that the case would not have gone the way it had if that girl hadn't have come and given her evidence. I've had other examples of people saying that they were going to disengage but have stayed because of the dog. So, you know, that's a good thing too. If we can encourage people to tell their story, then that might help them in their healing process as well. So you're getting, uh, you're seeing evidence that people are perhaps giving, continuing on with cases where they other might, where otherwise might not. Yeah. They're feeling supported through the process. It's lightening the burden, making mm. something that could otherwise be quite a traumatic experience more positive, more constructive, more healing in a yeah. way. Yeah, and yes, and that's absolutely right. And one of the things that I'm really interested in as well is the long-term effects that this might have on people. If we've helped them get through this experience um, in, a, in a supportive way and through the presence of the dog, when they look back on this, what will their memories be mm. of it? And I've got a couple of little examples, and I guess we're, we're, we're still a little bit young and um, we've only been doing this for a couple of years. One of the things that Lucy um, does explain how she hands out her business card. I had a case um, where we'd been working with a child and Lucy had given her business card to the child we got through the case, that was all fine. But the child came in a few months later for the plea hearing, I think it was. And she told me, oh, my mum might have told me, no, she told me how she still has Lucy's card and it's propped up on her bedside table um, so that she sees it first thing in the morning and last thing of the night and how that helps her. The other, another thing Lucy does is she, she gives out these little um, rubber wristbands that say, you are porcelain. And again, the children love them because they're a nice tangible thing. We were working with this other girl one day and I thought we hadn't actually really got through to her. Every, and that happens sometimes. Mm. Sometimes you think, well, did I, did we actually help? And, you know, there's a bit of an unknown sometimes. But this girl, I thought, oh, I don't know if we really made a difference. A few months later, the mother rang um, her social worker and to say that she, the, the daughter had got up in tears that morning because her uh, porcelain wristband had broken and do you think it would be possible that she could have another one from Lucy? So clearly that was a case of we did make a difference and this, this anchor of having the wristband was helping her in her recovery. So I think, you know, if we can change the narrative of the experience so that when maybe particularly children look back and what they're remembering is the fun things they did with Lucy or, you know, playing cards with Lucy or the wristband or the card maybe just maybe that might help them in their long-term recovery because it wasn't all bad. Mm. And we'll come back to that because it sounds like there's some really interesting stories around short-term impact as well as long-term impact and perhaps um, you know other jurisdictions might be mm. able to speak to that if they've got older programs. But I just wanted to touch on, before we get to that, you mentioned the Churchill Trust mm-hmm. and, and I noticed that in 2018 you received a fellowship from the Churchill Trust to travel overseas um, and I'm wondering you know, what difference that made mm. to you. Oh, it made all the difference in the world and, and I'm indebted to the Winston Churchill Memorial Trust for the opportunity and, and, and the trust in me that I could make something of this. So I had been working on a pilot program with the dogs before that, but I just kept feeling that I was sort of running into to roadblocks. 
because nobody had done it here in Australia and they were doing it over there, so I needed to be there to see it. Um, so the Churchill gave me – did two things. One, on a personal level, it just it changed me completely. I think it really encouraged me to be more of a risk taker and to trust myself, which was, uh, I think, something we all need reminding of. But it also gave me exposure to how they're running these programs in the States and in Canada, uh, to see it firsthand, to meet the dogs firsthand, to see the work that they're doing. And it really broadened my scope because initially I thought, okay, court dogs, okay, yeah, we work in court, we help people tell their story. When I got to America and Canada, I worked, found out, and I kept a log of everything, um, that I saw or heard of dogs working in 26 different ways across the justice system to wow. help people. You know, even some of the dogs are placed with police departments and would go to the scene of a crime. And so that same dog would be with, could be with a victim or a family from the scene of a crime right through to a court. And the same dog might be working with a family for years, which mm. is just amazing. They also work um, their dogs there in crisis response, which is an area that I'm really interested in getting involved in. In fact, I've just done a symposium with the Court Dogs Foundation learning how we could potentially deploy dogs in a crisis, in a, in a mass shooting or a terrorist activity. Now, fortunately, we don't have the number of those incidents here that they do in the States. Um, as they said to me in the States, it's a mass shootings aren't a matter of if but when. Mm. Um, you know, again, they're, they're, they're happening all the time. But so certainly crisis response is something that I'm, I'm keen to explore here. So, yes, yeah, so that exposure to the work that the dogs are doing and also the network of handlers in America, and in fact, the, the, the two, the founders of the program, um, Ellen uh, Stevens and Celeste Walson, have become very, very firm friends, and, and, and we liaise and work very closely together, um, and they're really proud of the work that I've done here in, in getting the Australian scene up and running. And it sounds like the trip really opened your eyes to the breadth of possibility oh, of how the dogs could, absolutely, could impact. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and the fact that you know, always be open, and, and even since coming home, I've worked, I've worked Lucy in a way that I hadn't even seen in America. So, you know, it's just, just, there's tremendous scope. And what are the real growth opportunities, you know, given where you're at at the moment, you know, where are you hoping to take things next? Yeah. Okay. So twofold, I'd like to continue to help more state jurisdictions get up programs. The other thing that I want to um, really expand on is, as I touched on before, is, is the other ways in which the dogs can work. And, and crisis response to me is, is very much an area where I'd like to look at. The other is that I would very much like um, to work with the police. <laughs> I haven't told them this yet. <laughs> um, I've told a couple of them. Um, so to get the dogs involved at the initial stages where people are making their initial statements and giving their evidence because this is something that the dogs do a lot in America and they call that phase the forensic evidence, the forensic interview phase. Um, now, oddly enough, despite COVID, one of the things that Lucy did in the middle of COVID last year was actually go down and support a family of young children when they came in to give their first statement after alleged sexual assault. Um, and it was just, it was just phenomenal. And one of the little boys that we supported, the detective told me that he had totally shut down and he, he wasn't talking. She saw that I had finished with one of the other children and said, oh, do you think we could have Lucy now? And I said, sure. So I gave this little boy, he was only five, I gave him Lucy's lead and I said, take her into where you're sitting. Giving the lead is a really important part mm. of this process because it's giving someone some control and empowering them to do something and, and it 
you know, victims are victims are victims because they've lost control at some point of time. So giving them some control is, is to me a really strategic thing. So this little boy takes the lead. And we put Lucy's mat down and, and I tell Lucy to lie down and I leave the room. About five or ten minutes later when the detective came out, she said, I wouldn't have believed that if I hadn't seen that. She said, I got a full disclosure from this boy a minute after you left. That's incredible. Um, and she said, I just I just have to say it was the dog because she said, I couldn't get through. So I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, stories like that, we might be able to get, you know, dogs involved in that phase of the process too. So, yeah, I'm always looking for opportunities of expanding and doing more and more but of course i need more dogs yes <laughs> so i need more people to train more dogs so and then yeah. one of the other things i'd love to do too is um you know maybe start working with a one of our prison facilities down here in victoria to have a training program which would be pretty amazing sounds like the sky's the limit julie <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of your personal journey this must have been an enormous learning curve for you you know we had a little bit of a chat um earlier and you were telling me about your own experiences mm. and the training you do with your dogs but mm. still this is on a whole new scale yeah, isn't it yeah yeah look um our um solicitor of public prosecutions uh, at the time when we first started the program um uh, the honorable john kane uh, justice kane said at a, he introduced me one day at a, at a barrister's conference and he said julie's managed to do what the rest of us only dream about she's brought her hobby to work <laughs> which is kind of true i feel very very lucky to have the the job that i have but Certainly by far and away, the biggest challenge on a personal level was the fact that I'm not a legal professional. Uh, my background is I'm a teacher and I spend a lot of time in human resources. So when I realized what I wanted to do, I wanted to change something pretty fundamental um, in the criminal justice system. And I wasn't a lawyer. I wasn't a legal professional. And you know, the the legal profession isn't always known for its innovation and its no. willingness to change. That's changing a lot. The culture certainly is changing. But I, I knew that that was going to be difficult for me. And that was a little bit daunting at times because I used to say to myself, how am I going to do this? You know, why should they believe me? Why should mm. they take it from me that this is a good idea and it's going to work? Um, but we got there. What was the biggest challenge for you on a personal level? Was it that confidence thing about feeling like thing. it was a bit of yeah. being a bit of an outsider in the profession? Being an outsider and taking the risk and, and knowing that it, I was really putting myself on the line. That you know, if something happened, that was going to be the end of this program and probably the the end of my credibility too. So it was it was taking that risk. It was having the confidence to speak up and and speak up in a world that I didn't have a lot of experience with. I'd only been at the OPP for about. 10 months before I started the pilot program. So I started it pretty quickly. Um, but look, I just have to, to thank over and over again the team here at the, the OPP. The solicitors just embraced this. And I found out very quickly that I wasn't the only person who was mad about dogs around the office. A, a little side story to all this is the staff just love this program and just love the dog so much. We've actually started, we started a couple of years ago, Bring Your Dog to Work Day, because staff just wanted to have more doggy fixes. <laughs> <laughs> that must be a very interesting day in the office. <laughs> it is. Well, we haven't had, unfortunately, for 12 months, but no, there's, there's rules associated with that. We have one dog per floor. <laughs> um, so the staff were fantastic. The management team at the, at the time when we started the program, uh, as I mentioned, um, Justice Kane, who's now our state coroner, and Justice Champion, who was our director at the time, is now a Supreme Court judge, were just the most wonderful advocates of the program and gave me so much encouragement and confidence and support 
and I just knew that I could could go to to any of them to talk to about any issues. And I really learned, I think, to use the support of other people. I mean, you know, people often say, "Oh, you know, call me or ask me. I'm happy to help." And quite often, you know, I don't need your help. I do it on my own. And but I finally learned that, you know. People do want to help and it's a good idea to draw upon that network when you're trying to do something major. So, you know, we're here today where we are um, because of the support of those sort of people and I'm forever indebted to them. You know, one of our key areas of focus in this series is is Wayfinder, you know, how people find their way through difficult situations. And it seems like um, you've had a number of them sort of from mm. trailblazing in this country on introducing dogs, but also the personal journey with building your confidence and taking mm. the risk and so on. What is there, what would you say to someone who might be listening who's going through a really difficult mm-hmm. time at the moment and can't see that light at yeah. the end of the tunnel quite yet? Yeah. Um, so, the, okay, so the first thing that I do, and as I said, every step of the way this program has thrown me another challenge but that's it's an interesting process because I say to myself I let myself panic initially and say Excellent. <laughs> I have no idea how I'm going to solve this problem so I allow myself the time to just I don't know what do whatever it is I need to do and then I'll think back and I'll say okay what was the last problem I had okay we got around that how do we get around that? So I just try and apply those same skills and that thought process to the next problem because if you can solve one problem, you can probably solve a second problem. And I think remember reminding yourself of the problems that you have overcome and the things that you have done just kind of reminds you that you can do it. So just because you don't know how to do something doesn't mean that you can't do it. And I think that's sort of been what I've sort of lived by to say that, oh, I don't know how to do it now, but I've worked out these other problems, there's got to be a way around this. So I then just take my time and some of my techniques, I, I like to work on my own initially to solve a problem, to gather data, research, read, and then I'll start talking to people and running ideas by it. And I've always got a couple of ideas on, on the go at any one time. But I think it's allowing yourself that moment of, eh, I can't do this, to then saying, okay, I've done other things in the past, I know I can do it. I'll work my way through this. Is there anything that you would like to say that you know that I've missed in that's an essence in your story that you'd like to share? I might just finish with one lovely, one of my favourite stories. Please do. We'd love to hear an anecdote. So it was again with a child, and, and we do a lot of work with adults too. But this this child story does stand out. Um, beautiful little boy. He was only six. And he um, was giving evidence and the judge in his matter, as a lot of the judges do when they're working with children, will come down to meet the children first just so that, you know, it's a bit, it's a real face, not just someone yeah, on the screen. Yeah, less intimidating. Less intimidating. So they don't come with their robes or wigs. It's just, they just come down. And I had been in the waiting room with this gorgeous little boy and Lucy had been at his feet. Anyway, we heard that the judge had arrived at the front door in the front waiting room. So I gave the boy the lead and he's walking down the hall. And, you know, Lucy's nearly the size of him because he was a wee little thing. And um, the boy gets down to, to um, the judge and he introduces himself and says, this is Lucy. And the judge says to the boy, what's the best thing about Lucy? And he says, she listens to me. And it was... Totally unscripted and totally lovely and, yeah, just brought, brought lots and lots of smiles. That's really wonderful, yeah. isn't it? A beautiful note to end on. Thank Julie you. Julie Morrison, thank you very much indeed for your time today. And if you're listening and you're interested in following up, just a reminder, Julie is the Victims Engagement Coordinator in the Office of Public Prosecutions in Victoria. Thanks, Carla. Thanks, Julie. 
you for listening to the Wayfinder podcast. For more information on Yellow Edge and our services, including professional development, coaching, strategic support, mediation, and venue hire, visit yellowedge.com.au. For more information on the Winston Churchill Trust, visit churchilltrust.com.au. Thank you.